Hello and welcome to Hokshida Podcast. I'll be asking my dad questions about his life and our culture. I'm Hokshida, and I'll be taking you on a journey of truth and reconciliation growing up indigenous on Turtle Island. So, let's get into this. Dad, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm uh, 47 years old. Uh, I come from the Okanese First Nation. Um, of the Ojibwe, Cree, Dakota, and Métis heritage. Uh, I come from many famous families, per se. From my Dakota side, we can trace it all the way back to Chief Sitting Bull. And on my dad's other side, on the Métis side, we can trace it all the way back to Gabriel Dumont's oldest brother, Francois. So that's where our, our family heritage or family tree comes from, all the way down to us. So we have Dakota people on one side and warrior people on my dad's side and on my mom's side. That's where the traditional aspect comes into play because everybody on my mom's side are all what we call medicine people or holy people. Now, my great-grandparents, Alec and Maggie Nukshish, they came from the Okanese First Nation. And my grandfather, when he was getting of age to be an old age, they had to figure out how old he was. So he didn't have what they call a birth certificate. All they had was the time of year when he was born. He was born around Christmas time. And at the time when he was born, there's an old stone church north of Hubbard, Saskatchewan that was covered in snow, completely covered in snow. So they had to go back into the history books to go see when that church was covered in snow. So they came up with three years. There was 1885, there was 1890, and then 1900. And the government didn't want to pay the old man too much, so they chose 1900 as his birth year. But either way, being born in 1900, Saskatchewan didn't exist then. So on his birth certificate, it said, on Rupert's land. And my grandmother's, it said Northwest Territories. So, like I said, they were pre-reservation Indians. Meaning, when they were born, the reserves didn't exist yet. So, in times after, they, they moved on to the reserve, which then became the Okanese First Nation. At the time when they were teenagers, they didn't even live in houses. They still lived in tents and teepees. And these were the two old people that raised me from a young age. From the age of two and a half, my parents gave me up and sent me to my great-grandparents, Alec and Maggie Nukshish. And I lived with them off and on for about 10 years. And in that time period, I learned the culture. See, my grandfather was what we call a holy man. And he was... Uh, how would I say, raised in it. Everything was taught to him from the generation before him and before him and before him and before him. So all those stories that were taught to me came from a grandfather or a grandmother from the generations back. And he learned it from his dad. His name, his name was Mushtatuk, which means sits in the fire. And there's a story that goes with his name, sits in the fire. You see, my great great mushroom when he was a young guy he was about 14 15 and he went hunting in the winter time it was a really cold winter night and he was out there hunting he saw a moose and he shot the moose but he didn't kill the moose the moose ran out into the water on the ice and he fell through and my grandfather went right after it and dove right in grabbed that moose pulled him out and pulled the moose out of the water out of the ice and dragged him back to shore put the moose off to the side and he was freezing. In fact, his his clothing, which is still, you know, leathers. He 
pulled them off and they were wet, they were freezing, they are almost rock hard, it was so cold that he took all the broken wood and he laid it in a circle and he started a fire. He set that fire up really big and he broke that fire and spread it around. He took a big log off the side and he put it down right in the middle of the fire and he took off his leggings and he sat on that stump within the fire to keep warm. So the fire was actually around him and he was holding his leathers up trying to dry off his clothing. And the fire was getting hotter and hotter and he was sitting in there. And the wind was blowing, so he kept himself somewhat warm. Two old guys, local Indians, were riding their horses looking for him. They found him. And when they found him, they found him sitting inside a fire. So after that, that was his name, Mushtatuk, sits in the fire. And when the old man was an old, old man, he was an alternate signer for Treaty 4. So his name's on that, on that billing. He drew his little X beside his name. So on my mom's side, her great-great-grandfather, my great-grandfather, double great, was a co-signer of Treaty 4. So that, that's a little, you know, a little bit of history that you know, I can put in my pocket and say, yeah, I'm, I'm part of that. You know, that's where I come from. So when I was a little kid, about two and a half, three years old, I moved in with my great-grandparents, Alkamegi Nukshish. And that's where my real, true education started, was with them. You see, these two old people never went to school. Never went to residential school. They're what I used to always tease them. I asked Mushroom, Mushroom, I said, are, are, are you a wild Indian? And he'd always tell me, grandson, or Sussum, little Mushroom, he used to call me Sussum. He'd say, Sussum, he said, I am the last of the wild Indians. Oh, I said, am I a wild Indian? He said, yeah, he said, you're definitely a wild Indian, he said, so that's the kind of way I was raised. And the thing is, I was raised in a way that uh, nobody else could say they were or weren't. Now, meaning I'd wake up with my old people and they had a one-room house. And they had a little bathroom. Later on, they had a bathroom, but I remember as a little kid, they didn't have running water. So we, we had to go outside to go to the bathroom. They had an outhouse. Now, tell you right now, it's 40 below you. You get your business done pretty quick when you go out there. You down, you sit down on that hole, and you got a cold wind blow right up underneath you. Yeah, it makes you go quick, boy. Woo wee, that's cold. But you know that's that's the way I was raised. I mean, and the thing is, looking back on it, you know, now today, thinking how I was back then, damn, we were poor. We didn't have much. But when I was a little kid, I didn't know any better. I always thought everybody went shopping once a month. You know, once a month, I'll go into town and buy lots of groceries and come home and fill the freezers and the cupboards and all kinds of stuff. I remember they used to have this big giant roll of uh, bologna. You know, my grandparents would buy two, three of those. They're big, long chubs. Not like you have today. They're twice as long. They're really big, you know. I remember on the first day we'd get it, everybody got a thick slice of fried bologna sandwich. Yeah, it was really good. I mean, I remember that as a little kid. That was awesome. You know, that was, that was living. And that too, I mean, thinking back, you know, we used to shop in all these little towns all around our reserve and never really realized that they're racist little towns. You know, I, I, we get the brunt end of it sometimes, but I mean, just thinking back, it's just like, it, it, it always was there. 
you know, growing up indigenous in Saskatchewan is when I was a kid, you know, it's a lot different than what it is today. I mean, today you can't say half the stuff that was said back then. I mean, being called all kinds of names, you know, when I was a little kid, I had the long hair, long braids. I was a boy, but I had long braids. My braids were so long, I used to stuff them in my front pockets. They looked like I had, I was wearing suspenders, keeping my pants up. They were just my braids stuffed in my front pockets. I remember this one time we were at a store and this, this guy comes up, hey, sweetie, can you help me move these boxes? And I looked at him, who the hell are you talking to? Oh, don't call me that. I'm not a girl. You know, I remember saying that, standing up for myself, everybody looking at me funny. My mushroom and cook would shake their heads and laugh at them. Cook would say, ah, don't say that to someone. Don't be mean, she'd say. Well, guy called me a girl. You know, that's not right. But, you know, that that's the kind of stuff that happened. So, from the time I was, you know, two and a half, all the way till I was 12, that's when my real education happened. You see, my grandparents taught me the Nahayo language. And after you stop talking to people, it's very difficult to remember your language. But I'm slowly picking it back up you know what i do remember is the traditional songs the spiritual songs our rain dance songs our sun dance songs and then all our prayers for healing people i remember all that stuff it's instilled in my head the thing is you just got to think about it you see i was raised with those two old people they taught me everything i know about my culture you see my grandfather was a pipe man he was a whistle man for dancing powwow he was a you know, holy, holy person. He had rattles for healing people. He had rattles for singing in the sun dance and rain dance. And all that stuff that was uh, passed on to me. I was told how to look after it. I was raised to be a waskawayas, which is a helper. Help the old people fill their pipes, help them along, help them with their prayers. Move things when they need things moved. You know, I started there. And once you become that helper, the you you're always that way. You're always going to be one of those until they tell you otherwise. And I was told otherwise when I was 12. You see, it happened around Christmas time when I was 12 years old. My grandmother had an accident in October and she slipped and fell and broke her hip. And they took her to the hospital and she stayed in the hospital from October, November, December. In December, she uh, slipped a second time in the hospital and she got really injured real bad and she passed away. That was the 18th of December, 1986. And I answered that phone call from my mushroom early in the morning, it was like four o'clock in the morning, I answered that phone and I woke my mushroom up and I told him, mushroom, I said, the hospital's calling. Oh, I said, what's wrong? I said, what's going on? He told me, I said, they said, cook him, passed away. I said, ah, no, he said, I jumped about her, he said. So that morning, he woke up early. It was like 4 o'clock in the morning, we woke up. He said, Sussum, he said, make some breakfast, he said. So me and my one uncle made breakfast and, you know, fed the old man at 4.30, 5 o'clock we started. Now, 5 o'clock on that morning, he told me, look at that clock. It's a big clock on the wall because my mushroom was half blind. So it was a big, super-sized clock on the wall. It was like three and a half feet round. It's really big numbers. So I was looking at it. I was, okay, I remember that time. Okay. And he started from the beginning with all the songs and ceremonies from naming ceremonies, more sunrise ceremonies, everything, everything. 
He'd say, look at that time. Look at the clock. And I'd look at the clock and remember that time. Because when I'd look at that clock, we'd be starting a new ceremony, a new set of prayers, a new set of songs. All the way down to the rain dance at the end. We'd break for lunch. we break for supper. And at 8 o'clock that night, all the families start gathering because they're going to have a pipe ceremony for my, my cookum, for my nookum, my grandma. Because she passed away and I brought the old man's pipe on. And I, I helped. I set it all up and lit the pipe. The old man smoked the pipe. We said a prayer. Everybody partook in that ceremony. And then he said, I'm tired. He said he laid down for a bit. And then he woke up. He said, I want to watch the news. He said, you know, it was about 10 o'clock at night. He wanted to watch that... Uh, How'd I say? You want to watch those uh, those news guys? He's the national news. It used to be Harvey Kirk and Lloyd Robinson did the national news. So he argued with them one final time. That's what he said. I want to argue with them one final time. All these little words you got to remember. Final. The last time. You know, this, this is what my mushroom was talking about. Like, never clued in that night. So he, after the news, he said, Told everyone, I'm tired, I'm going to lay down. He said, so he laid down in his bed. And he kept yelling for me, Sussum, come here, Sussum, come here. I said, ah, I had to stand by him. He tell, told me, grab that pipe bag. I said, okay, here. I handed it to him. And he handed it right back to me. He said, you look after it. He said, this is yours. Okay, okay, Mushroom. I said, I still didn't clue in. So I took it and tied it up and I put it on my chair. He said, Sussum, get that black that black suitcase. I said, oh, okay, I grabbed the suitcase. Suitcase was full of all the traditional rattles and everything, medicines, and handed it to him. He turned around, Sussum, take this. I took it back from him. Again, not cluing in what's going on. So I took that suitcase and I put it on my chair. And then he started coughing. <coughs> and his breathing changed. You know, and... I'm 12 years old, you know, sitting here, not, not cluing in what's going on. Finally, I yelled at my dad, come in here. I said, something's wrong with Mushroom. So my dad came in and checked out. and There he recognized what was going on. You see, he was, he was giving up. His lifelong partner passed away the day before, and he was joining her. You see, a long time ago, they made a, a pact, an agreement. They lived together for so long. I made that life choice together for so long that when it's time to go, they would go. He said, okay, that's how it goes. You know, he later passed on that night right there in his room. And then they shipped him off to the hospital. And my dad made a choice of not covering him, making it seem like he was still alive when he left the, left the house so that the whole family wouldn't be, uh, how would I say, up, too upset over it. But already he was traveling already. Now to change the subject a little bit on that, my mushroom told me all these stories when I was a little kid from the time he went hunting and a little kid, he, he was taught how to hunt from the time four, five, six years old. So I was like four and a half and I told mushroom, well, what about me? I said, you're going to show me how to hunt. He said, yeah, he did. You know, four and a half, he started taking me out and go hunting. You know, take two, four, two, 24, two, 22 shells. Take four of those and go hunting. When I was five and a half, I was hunting by myself, walking with my dog, my old res dog. My one uncle had a problem finding animals. You see, he, he always chose female dogs, and he always thought they were male dogs. And my crazy old uncle he brought me home a stud dog. He said, oh, it was a real smart dog. He said, oh, he's so smart, I called him dummy. He said, 
Oh, la. My dog's name was Dummy. Dummy was a funny dog. Well, one spring morning, you know, it was uh, Christmas time. Uh, my dog, Dummy, was getting pretty heavy, getting fat. I was like, Dummy's getting kind of fat, you know. Something's wrong. I said, he's not eating much, but he's getting fatter. Then one spring morning, Dummy disappeared. Didn't come out of her house. I'm saying, now I'm saying she. He didn't come out of his house. So I went down in there and crawled into the doghouse. And the further I crawled into the house, I started hearing little whimpering sounds, little puppy sounds. And she was cooing around and kind of talking to other animals. Finally, I got close and looked in, and there she was, you know. She had 14 puppies. I was, holy jeez, ran in the house. I grabbed the one and took it in the house. Showed my mushroom. I said, she had puppies. I said, she's not a boy dog. She's a girl dog. Oh, they're all happy. Here's a box, they said. Bring all those puppies in. So I took all 14 puppies in. Again, not paying that much attention, being who I was at the time. They told me to go hunting, so I went hunting and... I came back and Dummy had eight puppies. Some of the puppies were missing. You know, they took care of the, the weaker puppies so that she'd have eight strong puppies that she'd look after. You know, old people used to do that, weed out the smaller animals. And it, it's, it's nothing bad about it. It's just that's how culture is and nature is and the stronger survive. You know, a lot of people might get mad over that, but that was custom back then. Some people still do that. You know, never realized that we had this you know, very rich kind of soup after, but, you know, I'm not going to say where it all came from, but y'all can read between the lines. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's a delicacy. The thing is, it's all culture. That's how our culture stays alive, by living the mm -hmm. culture. And my grandparents lived it because they lived it. They didn't go to school to be an Indian. They didn't go to school, period. They learned from their old people. Pre-reservation teachings. And that's what they taught me. And that's how I lived. I learned from my great-grandparents. I didn't go to university to go get my Indian studies degree to say I'm an Indian through the university. I lived it from the source. My great-grandparents, that's how they did it. And the thing is, that's how I was raised. And being raised that way has benefits, meaning you remember the stuff, you retain it. It's there. I can look at the clock and remember what time that ceremony is happening. The prayers come out. The songs come out. Just like a record player in my head, the right song comes out. It's like our culture. All our traditional stories. My grandparents taught me the Cree stories of creation. The Soto stories of creation. In the right form, in Cree and in Soto. And the thing is, it's remembering it to bring it back out. And the thing is, the stories, some of the stories, I know them in my own language. And the thing is, if I say that in my own language, no one's going to understand me anyway. So I translate it into English. And the thing is, it's, it's just what it is. And the thing, being raised with these four different cultures, I keep them all together. But I keep them separate. Meaning I keep the Dakota with the Dakota, the Cree with the Cree, the Soto with the Soto, the Métis with the Métis. And the thing is, myself, I'm what they call a duality when I live. Meaning, I live my traditional life and I live in the modern world and I try not to mix the two. Meaning, I keep my cultures alive. I pray every morning. I might not go to church, like 
most people, uh, whatever Christian beliefs you have, that's your that's your call. That's your beliefs. I try and keep my culture alive. My culture is not a religion. It's a way of life. And the thing is, growing up in Canada as an indigenous person, it was not easy. Meaning, we always had uh, lots of prejudices. Uh, prejudice. Prejudice? Yeah. Meaning... The, the people in power, the white people, the settlers, they always tried to keep their thumb on us or their foot on us and keep us where they wanted us. No, not too high. Meaning they always, they always kept us down low, stepped on us, kept our culture down, made fun of us, made fun of me, especially me. Because like I said, I was a little young guy with long braids. So of course they always try and pick a fight with me. Eh? Call me girl, call me this, call me that. I mean... You, you see that today. You see bad things happening all over America, in the United States, here in Canada as well. Trying to have indigenous boys keep their culture alive, keep their hair long and stuff like that. You know, a lot of our cultural beliefs are with having long hair. Not necessarily. My mushroom never had long hair. He always had short hair. For whatever reason, he always used to say, oh, mine's, mine's short, I don't, I don't grow it out long. But there was a reason why he, he cut his hair down. It was because he could never get a job anywhere having long hair. So he cut his hair off. Because my grandfather worked everywhere, every kind of farm. He, farmhand. Look after cattle, look after horses. There was no job too low to do. Because you work, you get paid. You get paid, you make money, and you feed your family. That was the work ethic that he had. And there's a lot of our traditional people on the reserves had that work ethic but then after a few years of settlers coming in moving in this area there was less and less jobs for settlers because us as first nations people we had all the jobs because we we're hard-working people so they settlers changed it and they wanted us not to work anymore so they talked to the government and that's where we had payouts Meaning we'd have our treaty payments. And at the time, you know, way back in the 1800s, you know, $5 was a lot of money, sustained us from working. It was enough money to sustain us for one whole year. And that's how it was supposed to be. That's what they said. But then the government didn't want to pay more money down the line. So we ended up having to work. My grandparents worked. And then their children worked. And so on. And the thing is, it's, it's a cultural thing, meaning... The way I was raised by the old people, I try and keep those teachings alive. Those teachings alive. Like all the traditional stories, the cultural aspects, all the traditional songs. You know, I'm, I got a very big song book, per se. There's no real book, but I mean, the memory of songs I have in my head, there's lots of them. And being who I am, you know, traditionally, the Dakota name that I have is Wahachanka Hokshida, which means Great Shield. So I shortened it to just shield, Hokshida. So when I talk like this or do cultural talks, I'll go by that name rather than the name given to me. So with that, I tell everybody here, thank you very much, Pidamaya. And then uh, listen up and uh, we'll continue and hopefully you come back and listen to me. Thank you.